What you tolerate becomes your culture at its worst. This is Walking Your Talk, a personal development podcast about leadership, authenticity, and courage. I'm Carolyn Taylor, and I've spent my life working with leaders in organizations on how to change their culture. But this is much more personal. If you want to be known as someone who walks your talk at work and beyond, then this podcast is for you. So hi and welcome to the next episode of this podcast where we're going to talk some more about some stories which are symbols of what makes a great culture. And the definition that we like to use in our organisation for culture is that it is the patterns of behaviour that are encouraged, discouraged and tolerated by people and systems over time. And I like that definition because it contains the actions, encourage, discourage, tolerate, that any leader who wants to influence the culture needs to practice. And today what I want to do is really unpack that word tolerate. Because what I've found in all my years of working with leaders who are seeking to change their culture is that learning how to be intolerant of the behavior that doesn't meet the standards that everyone's trying to establish in your group, your team, your community, or even in your family, learning how to do that is a critical skill. And when I first talk to people about the word tolerate, it's really interesting because most people's mind immediately jumps to firing people. And I wonder whether your mind jumped there as well. And then they think, you know, whether and they have long conversations about what circumstances should people be fired for poor behavior, go down all that route. But the reality is that, you know, that probably will happen occasionally in a culture journey, but it's not where most of the tolerate or not tolerate effort needs to sit. Because the real skill needs to focus on the little things. And today what I want to do is to tell you a couple of stories of people who I thought were masterful at the little things and not tolerating them. So last year, my husband and I went on a holiday, which was different from anything we'd ever done before. We went to Japan for the Rugby World Cup. Seems like a million years ago now since COVID and everything. But uh, my husband loves rugby, and I, I'm not really a fan of any sport, to be honest. But the thrill of being in Japan, and you know, he he was going to adore it. I knew that I would get right into it with the right atmosphere. So we went. And the other thing that was unique for us was we joined a tour group. I know I've never joined a tour group before, and they organised everything, and, and we travelled by coach from game to game, and each one was in a different city, and we saw a bit of the city as well. And our tour guide was an Australian rugby star called Damien Fitzpatrick, who proved to be the most excellent leader. And he actually built a mini culture within the 40 or so people who were in our tour group on our bus over the two weeks that we were there. And of course, you know, because I'm a bit of a nut about culture, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was always watching what he was doing. And one of the things he did was each morning we were given a time when we had to be on the bus. And of course, some people were late and then that held up all of us and held up the plans. And so after the first day, Damien told us what happened with rugby teams because he'd been a number, obviously a member of a number of them. And 
But all rugby teams apparently spend a lot of time on coaches traveling from hotels to practice to games to press events and so on. And he said that they have a ritual on the bus, which is that when someone's late, the offender has to walk all the way to the back of the bus because all the front seats are taken. And everyone who's already on the bus groans and boos as the late person walks through. And Damien called it the walk of shame. And he suggested that we should do the same thing. So the next morning, a couple of people were late and we all booed as they walked down the back of the bus. And the next day, no one was late and no one was late again. So we got to our places on time and our thing all went pretty smoothly. But Damien was really interesting because he treated the whole thing as a bit of a joke, a big game. It was lighthearted. It was fun. And he had that energy all the way through. But underlying it, there was a message there, which was don't be late. It ruins the day for everyone else. And he actually shaped our behavior and created an atmosphere that he wanted and that we all benefited from. And we didn't, none of us wanted to walk the walk of shame. So we didn't want to let the rest of the group down. Now, that's what I mean when I say not tolerating. It can be very light, but it's consistent and it's powerful. So in the business context, let me give you another example. Uh, a leader I worked with for several years, his name was Peter, very affable, engaging, but very disciplined. And, and he ran a, an $100 million operation within a larger organization. And each team meeting that he had, and they used to have them once a week, he ended it with, you know, there was a list of action with someone's names beside it. And at the beginning of the next meeting, he would very quietly, because he was a quiet man, just refer to the list and say, I'll take it as read then that all of these actions are completed unless anyone tells us now that one of them isn't. And then he would pause and there would be a silence. And very occasionally someone would admit that they hadn't taken the action and apologized and the action was noted for the next time. But almost universally, what I noticed was that there was silence after he said that because everything had been done and no one wanted the shame of admitting that they hadn't done something when they had said they would. And that was the standard that had been set for the culture of that team. And Peter had set that very clearly. And he just quietly, through that technique that he used, shaped the behavior of the whole team. So let's unpack the pattern here in those two stories, because they actually follow a very similar format. And it's a format that I've seen in many other occasions, in many organizations that I've worked with as a consultant on culture. And this is what I see the pattern to be. First of all, that a standard is set. Now, people think that setting a standard means, you know, having some big team building event and writing, writing some formal list of behaviors and so on. But sometimes it's much simpler than that. You know, the standard can be set by the leader usually um, by just one or two sentences or by just starting to do something like Damien and Peter both did there. And the second then is that the standard is then mentioned and it's visible on every relevant occasion. So it was going to be visible who was going to be late in the bus. It was going to be visible because Peter 
picked up the, each meeting with the actions of the previous one and had that moment's silence, it was going to be visible if someone hadn't met that standard. And then in both cases, there was some element of shame that existed for those who didn't meet the standard. Very gentle, nothing heavy, nothing that leaves people feeling that they've been got at in some way, but just the recognition that they didn't meet it. And then what happens is that peer pressure actually does the rest and nothing more needs to be said. And that's the fourth point. And the fifth and the final point is that everything is done in a very light and a very manual of fact way. And I think that's a long way from the anxiety that often clicks in when I start talking about the importance of not tolerating behavior as a part of the culture leadership skill. Because people jump to, oh, it means we've got to fire people. Whereas the true skill lies in those five elements that I just listed. So how could you do this? Here's the exercise for you. Think of a group of people whose behavior you would like to shape around some standards or just one standard. Might be a team, might be your family, might be the whole organization. And then define very clearly what you want. And it needs to be very specific, very visible, and very simple. So Damien's, be on the bus on time. And Peter's was, do the actions you committed to do in the last meeting. Often what I see are behaviors that are much looser than that, that won't be visible, that have room for a lot of interpretation. Then the next thing you do is you work out where and how you can introduce that standard, how to describe it, how you get buy-in, do you need to get buy-in? And actually in both of those cases, they didn't say, is everyone okay with that? They actually just took the authority that they had in a, from their leadership position and said, this is the way it's going to be. Now, there might be other occasions where you say, no, I actually do think that we need to have a conversation about this and we all need to agree that this is how it's going to be. So I think it depends a little bit on the circumstances. And then, so you define the behavior, you work out how and where you can introduce it. The next step then is you never let it be forgotten. And that's really important because what I see so much is that behaviors get defined and then people kind of forget about them and the leader doesn't raise them and no one else raises them because everyone wants to be nice and they don't want to call each other out. So the whole thing fizzles. But they can be raised in a very lighthearted way. It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't really have to be calling it out. It's just matter of fact. And then use the power of transparency the transparency within the group so that others will see if the standard's being adhered to. And after that, you let peer pressure and just a spoonful of guilt to do the rest. Now, in my experience, it's very rare that someone consistently fails to meet the standard if you follow each of those earlier steps. Now, occasionally someone doesn't meet the standard consistently, and if they don't, Eventually, I'll tell you, they will leave the group by one means or another. Because what standards do like that is they start to bond the group. And I saw it happening with this group of people we'd never met before on this tour bus at the rugby. We started to bond as a group. 
and we had our standards and we had our way of doing things. And it was a part, but not all, there was more than that, of starting to feel that we had some kind of a responsibility to each other. And so because standards do bond a group, everyone then starts to get frustrated with repeat offenders. And as a consequence, those offenders do actually end up leaving. Now, either they volunteer to leave because they don't like people being frustrated with them, or they're asked to leave in whatever form that looks like. But as I said, actually, this is rare, because when you shape a group around a set of standards like that, it's actually easier than you think. If you put your attention on it, it just needs your focused attention. So enjoy that story. I hope that I told you the two stories, the one of Damien in the bus and Peter in his meetings. And go well with that and see if you can practice those little steps, those little gestures, but critically important gestures of not tolerating the behaviours that matter to you. And I will see you in the next episode.